This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Well, a new documentary will help mark the 175 years since the arrival of the first migrant ship into Otago Harbour. Uh, Toy to Otago Settlers Museum's been researching the challenges and adventures of 100 migrant pioneers to southern New Zealand between 1848 and 1861. And the result, a wonderful new documentary series, Journey to New Edinburgh. We thought we'd t- talk about that with uh, Toy to curator Sean Brosnan, who joins us now. Sean Morena, lovely to have you in with us again. Yeah, great to see, be here. Massive piece of work for you. Where was the beginning point for you? Well, to be honest, the beginning point for this was probably back in 2017 when we were in China making Journey to La Nguyen, our story about Dunedin's Chinese community, Tago's Chinese community. And we thought, well, this is great that we're doing this, but we should also do this for the um, founding pioneer group as well. It's a great template, so we sort of took that then and ran with it, and that's what we've done. Same sort of thing. Origin story, coming here story, how they got on here story. Yeah, some of the, the comments you've made in the lead-up to us being able to see this is that you know we often, we often focus on sort of what happens once boots hit the ground here, but of course there's a massive story before that even happens, right? That's right, and actually, you know, when you go down into the detail, it's amazing that it happened at all. The Otago Settlement Scheme very nearly didn't happen lots of times in the genesis from 1843 when it was first proposed to be before the actual first settlers arrived here in 1848 there were so many times when it looked like it just wasn't going to happen and uh, another thing that the documentary series does is test some of our assumptions uh, around you know what kind of people they were that arrived here and what the, what their motivations were yeah well that's right so you talked about the hundred stories and the documentary they're kind of two separate things we did two different things we've done an overview called journey to new edinburgh which is the whole story the genesis of the settlement how it came to be and what happened on the ground and there's lots of personal stories in that, but we also did as a separate thing, a hundred individual pioneer stories where we went back and looked at where they came from and why they might have left there and why they came here. Because all those things are, you know, they're not set. When people were thinking about immigrating from Scotland or England or Ireland in the 19th century, they had a lot of places to choose from. And Otago, New Zealand was way down the list and hardly known about in the early days, of course. So how was it that those particular people chose this particular destination, which was the furthest away, the hardest to get to, the most expensive to get to? That's, that's you know, really a key, key question and, for us. And presumably there were a wide range of, of, of answers oh, to that. Absolutely. But any common threads? Um, well, it, it's a fact that people go where people have gone before. So once you get a core group, like the Scottish Presbyterian Pioneers, people will follow them. It'll be their friends and their relations. Because the best recommendation for any immigrant destination was always word from your relations who'd been there before. Because, you know, there was an awful lot of bump put out by promoters of settlement schemes all around the world. Promoters really puffed it up. And, you know, weren't all that reliable. So if you got a letter from someone who came from your village or from your family, they'd often tell you the real detail and you'd know, yeah, I can rely on that. And I can rely on that person being there as well. We assume that um, there's a great deal of resilience required, even just to make the journey. It was a testing journey. Um, But also once here, there was a wide range of skills needed to be able to even just create a place to exist. Well, that's right. And if you think about the very first group that came on the John Wycliffe, the first ones to arrive, a lot of them were so daunted by what they found on arrival that they begged Captain Cargill to let them go to Wellington, and they did. 
they didn't have what it took to cope with the challenges of starting from nothing and building where there was nothing. You know, there was there were surveys here that laid out the lines for the future of Dunedin, but Dunedin didn't exist. They had to make it. In contrast, on the Philip Lang, we have a, a guy like John, uh, James Adam, who was the first off the ship, first into town, built the first house, built the first boat. He was into it. He had the right attitude, and he wrote later, you know, 25 years of immigrant life, his memoir about that were the happiest days of his life, and he'd do it all again if he could. So a lot came down to your attitude as well as your skills. Are these the origins of the hard southern man, do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the conditions here were pretty challenging physically. Um, and so people that managed to make it here did often have a stubborn tenacity, like James Adam. Um, but I think also the similarity in environment to Scotland meant that people like him felt quite at home. I think you could say the climate here is just slightly better than Scotland's. So it seemed like a bit of an upgrade, but also very familiar. So there was that sense of, you know, well, it's different, it's challenging, it's new. We can start again, but it's not that far different from what we've known. So there's a real cosy familiarity about the, the cool and the rain and all that sort of stuff. Well, let's hop behind the scenes a little and talk about how you went about making this documentary. Um, where did you start in terms of making those connections to, to, to develop the conversations you needed to have? Well, we started with the really big picture, which is the massive movement of people from the old world to the new in the 18th and 19th centuries. You know, you're talking about 50 million people that leave Europe in that period and go to the new world destinations, particularly the United States and Canada, also places in South America, Australia, South Africa, and here. And we kind of contextualise Otago in that we're a tiny sliver of the movement. But, you know, the broad patterns apply to us as well. So we dug into the historiography and people like Sir Tom Devine, the preeminent uh, historian of Scottish immigration, is um, actually in our film. He's one of our key partners and he pronounces very sagely on the, the dynamics of it. But we draw on his work quite heavily. But then we... Um, Take that that the the detail of the story and make it really hum. I think you know. So we get the big picture, but then we drill down to the little picture and go to the places where things actually happened. So that's our biggest thing at Toyo. I think this nitty gritty history approach, and we wanted to identify where those places precisely were and then go and find them. And so that took a lot of work, and I did a lot of that during the lockdowns last year, where I was actually spending most of my mental time in Scotland using nineteenth century records, particularly maps. There's a fantastic resource developed by the um, Scottish National Library, I think it is, where they've digitised old maps and geo-referenced them. So you can find a spot on a you know Ordnance Survey map from the 1850s where there's a particular building shown, and then you can align it perfectly to a modern map and see what's there now. So when we went in um, the middle of last year, I had all these geo-referenced locations where we could go and see exactly the spot we wanted to find. We had hundreds and hundreds of 355 locations, and we had geo-referenced maps for all of them. So most of the time, it was reasonably straightforward to be confident that we were on the right spot, even if what was there now wasn't what was there then. It was still the place where it happened, and that's a really key part of what we were doing. And um, people are what make documentaries interesting, the conversations that you have. Uh, when you think about the putting this together, um, you know, where was the greatest value for you in that and those kind of conversations that you had? Well, it, it is the, the materiality of going to place and talking to people. We got fantastic um, responses all over Scotland, by the way. You know, Dunedin, New Zealand, our... Um, our, our producer director Will McKee, we, he was our lead man. When we'd go to a place, we obviously had to sort of seek permission to be able to film in front of a house or a building, or whatever. And Will was the man who'd get out of the truck. 
head in and he'd walk forward with his hand outstretched to say, I'm Will McKee from New Zealand. And that was the magic word, New Zealand, always prompted a positive response. And surprisingly often, the people that were living in the places we're going to had a direct New Zealand, Otago, Dunedin connection, and that just you know really made it easy. You mentioned that uh, being um, forewarned in a way was was really useful. To have a, a clear picture of what was facing someone on arrival helped um, set someone up for being able to to get through those difficult early months and years. Uh, and uh, there were presumably plenty who didn't do quite as well as others. Um, w- was uh, when they first arrived, how surprised or otherwise were they by what they found? Uh, were there those who were so confounded by the whole process that it, it just they felt as though they'd been led down the garden path, or were there those who were they mainly? Very realistic about what they were facing. Well, clearly, there's quite a bit of that former because those people on the Philip on the John Wycliffe, for instance, did leave when the John Wycliffe left and went to Wellington. They went with it, so you know they were confounded. It wasn't as well developed as they had anticipated. They thought that the survey party would have you know laid out the streets, built the church and the school, laid out some houses. It would be all sort of sitting there waiting to be occupied, but it wasn't like that at all. Later on, of course, there was more development. But people who come in here were often quite surprised. It just, you know, it's pretty primitive. You know, um, there's a famous story of a, of a couple of blokes who get off the boat in Port Chalmers and they walk towards Dunedin, which isn't what he wanted. Most people come up the boat, come up the harbour by boat. But they walked here. And when they got to about Bell Hill, they asked someone for directions to Dunedin. And they said, well, you're, you're here. You know, so, <laughs> so that's quite a good story, I think. Um, but one of the things you mentioned there was, did everyone succeed, kind of, that was implying? In our 100 stories... It's mostly celebratory stories of colonial success where people had dreams and achieved them. Well, we obviously wanted to balance that up with some people who didn't achieve their dreams. So we've got a number of failures in there. We also tried to balance up the gender aspect because most of the people we know about from the 19th century tend to be men because that's the stories that were out in the public. It's much harder to access the stories of women who tended to be more, you know, in the home, doing doing the looking after the children, bringing, you know, bringing up the children, that sort of thing. So that's a bit of a challenge. And, you know, we, we obviously didn't get a 50-50 balance, but we put quite a few women into the picture and as I say, a few people who you could call failures or where it didn't quite work out as they'd hoped. This piece of work, you'll be hoping that it, it sits uh, occupying a space that wasn't previously occupied in terms of the, the recorded history. This is an important piece of work, isn't it? I think so. I feel like this is the culmination of my whole 35-year career at the museum. I've kind of distilled everything I've learned into this, and I'm pretty proud of it. And I think it will be a great resource for the future because no one's ever done anything like this. There's no documentary that's gone to the ground like this for a detailed place like just Dunedin and Otago and shown you this is where they came from. This is why they left. This is how they got there. This is the challenges they faced. This is how they got on. And we can be proud of those people and what they achieved. And we look around us. This is the monument to their efforts, Dunedin. It's an amazing place and it owes everything to those pioneers. There's an opportunity to hear more about this from Sean tomorrow as part of the Tuesday Club. Tell us what's, uh, what the Tuesday Club is. Tuesday Club is a um, monthly meeting organised by the Otago Settlers Association. I want to acknowledge actually that they are our principal sponsor for this because, as you imagine, it costs a bit of money to go to Scotland and Britain and so on for, for the time we went. They, they paid most of that. They run the Tuesday Club on a monthly basis through the year and they just get interesting talkers in, and the interesting speakers in to give a talk about some aspect of generally historical subjects, but not always. And uh, I just happen to be the, the speaker for tomorrow's 
Tuesday Club Indeed, Talk. But it's open to anyone. Uh, there's a small fee, I think, which is basically for the morning tea they put on. It's very convivial, and there's a great bunch of people who are regulars at the Tuesday Club. 10.15 tomorrow morning it is at the uh, Toitu Otago Settlers Museum Auditorium. Gold coin donation for members of the Otago Settlers Association. $5 only for non-members. Uh, I imagine that'll be well attended. So join up. Yeah, indeed. Where to from here with this piece of work? Well, the first part of it's going to be released uh, next week on the 175th anniversary, which is 23rd of March, the anniversary day when the John Wycliffe actually sailed up the harbour and arrived at Port Chalmers to begin the process of settlement. The 100 stories will be released sequentially thereafter, and all that material will be available on our website in due course. Um, it's going to be watched the first part, the first hour of what's basically three hours. There's eight episodes. The first two episodes will be released immediately in our um auditorium at the museum on the 23rd of March and thereafter till I think the 29th three sessions a day uh, you'd have to check the website but I think it's 10.30 noon and 2.30 something like that yeah keep your eye on the Toy to Attack Settlers Museum website for more details on Journey to New Edinburgh um, Sean an amazing piece of work thank you for talking about that I just want to very quickly turn to something completely different well, they're not unrelated, I suppose. St. Patrick's Day coming up, and uh, you've got um, an interesting program developed for Friday of this week. That's right. And actually, they are directly connected because one of the episodes of Junior to Edinburgh is called The Greening of Otago, which is about the coming of Irish people to Otago. So they get their little bit in there. So the St. Patrick's Day Flowers Festival that we've arranged is a direct response to the Irish ambassador's discomfort last year at all the headlines of the ODT about boozed up students wandering around in green and that was the only public representation of St Patrick's Day and he wasn't very impressed with that and he wanted to have a more culturally dynamic alternative and he asked us if we could put something on so this is our response we're drawing together history, music, language, food, dance to showcase something of the positive aspects of Otago's Irish heritage I'm giving a talk about the history of Irish people in Otago um, Dermot Coffey, who's the head of Conrad and Gallagher, which is the Irish language um, teaching organisation in New Zealand. He's coming down to do a talk about Irish language. If you want to you know, grab a few phrases, learn a little bit of your traditional language, if you've got Irish roots, come along to Dermot's talk, which is at 5.30, I think. And there's also going to be food, music, dance, all sorts of things going on, lots of things for kids as well. So if you want to mark St Patrick's Day in Dunedin this year, don't get boozed and wear green. Come to Toitu and do something positive. Plenty happening between 2 o'clock and 7 o'clock on Friday at Toitu Otago Settlers Museum. Sean Brosnan, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.